Welcome to Pharmacy Friends, a podcast dedicated to bringing industry experts to the same virtual table to talk about what is happening in pharmacy today, what is coming in the future, and most importantly, what it means to you. Today's episode falls on none other than International Customer Experience Day. Who even knew that holiday existed? Well, our pharmacy friends at Magellan RX did, and today we're going to dive into all things customer experience with Magellan RX customer experience leader Stephanie Stevens and our resident powerhouse and guardian of the government, Meredith Delk. These two know customer experience inside and out, and they're going to be sharing some pretty insightful takeaways that you can take into your everyday interactions. We want to be anywhere without our sponsors, so we're going to give a shout out to our first official sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by VRX Pharmacy. If you live in the Salt Lake City area, stop by VRX Pharmacy at City Creek, your local source for prescriptions, vaccines, snacks, drinks, and local souvenirs. Come in Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and say hello to your new pharmacy friends. With that, let's get into episode one. So, hey, everyone, welcome to Pharmacy Friends. I'm Stephanie Stevens, Marketing Director at Magellan RX, and I'm so excited to be your host for today on International CX Day, a day where we celebrate the importance of customers, customer experience, aka CX, um, and customer experience professionals worldwide. It's a special day for me as the customer experience navigator, guide, guru at Magellan RX. One of the reasons we celebrate CX Day is because customer experience and specifically CX insights research is still a maturing concept to many companies. But as the world we live in expands almost as fast as it contracts with technology and consolidation all at the same time, it's integral to remain competitive in any industry. CX has really been around in other forms since the early days of marketing and market research, but has really evolved into a science and become integrated into company cultures over the last 15 years, and is now understood to be the holistic view and examination of every interaction between customer and the organization. Using data-driven customer insights for strategic decision-making seems obvious and has been happening in different ways, you know, be it through anecdotal examination, through account teams and customer service reps, or simple customer satisfaction surveys, but it's really evolved into more sophisticated measures and grown arms to really be embraced as a branch of everyday business operations and strategy. Um, most are, most customer experience and insights professionals such as myself, uh, who have been in this field for quite some time, uh, did not necessarily leave college thinking that they would be in this blossoming field. I really started as a market researcher focused on competitive insights, working with big pharma to understand product placement and messaging. But as the industry has grown and industries in general have grown and had more customer-centric focus to remain competitive, CX has really come to the forefront. And I've been lucky to have the opportunity here at Magellan RX to work as an internal consultant and grow our CX strategy. Successful growth of that strategy as an internal consultant does not happen without the cooperation and support of leaders like our special guests today. Um, Over the almost two decades that I've been working in market research and customer experience, I have never been more impressed by this leader and the work that her organization has done with our customers. When I get her customer insights feedback, 
I've had to do a double take and I've tried to analyze the data every which way I've cut it up. I've done all kinds of things to it. And her team always consistently comes out in the high nineties and even has a hundred percent for probably two thirds or more of their metrics. So I'm excited to introduce Meredith Delk. Meredith is a PhD and has a master's in social work and serves as Magellan RX's senior vice president and general manager for the government division. Prior to joining Magellan, Meredith had many years in public and government affairs, so she is truly the expert in the field. We work together on our annual Voice of the Customer surveys and work throughout the year to ensure we're keeping a pulse on member customer and provider insights. So Meredith, welcome to Pharmacy Friends. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor and a pleasure to be here and always great to chat with you, Stephanie. Yes, it's such a great pleasure to talk to you. And you know, you've been a great support over the last few years, especially as we've been building this customer experience organization internally. So you and I have talked um, at length about the importance of our customer experience and keeping a pulse on what they're saying. You've been a great advocate and partner as we've grown our strategy, and we will get to all of that juicy information. Um, but let's start with you diving a bit deeper into your background and your role here at Magellan RX. Sure. So I have the, the pleasure and honor of, as you mentioned, running the Government Markets Division here at Magellan, which really means that um, I lead the team that works with Medicaid agencies and public health departments, uh, so regulators across the country, um, related to our fee-for-service PBA business. And so we essentially ensure that people living in poverty across the country have access to the right drugs at the right time at the right place whether that be you know, generally on Medicaid or in our ADAP business, which is AIDS and HIV medications. Um, so I have been uh, leading this team for about three years now. Um, prior to that, I've, I've had a long uh, history of work in the Medicaid space. Um, and prior to that, as you mentioned, I, I spent my whole 20s in school. <laughs> um, so I, I finished graduate school at 29 and spent a few years in state government and then launched into sort of corporate America uh, environments. Um, and Magellan is sort of the third, I guess, the third Fortune 500 company where I have done something in the government space. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's definitely noble. And, you know, I've done a little bit of work in the government space as a consultant. And, you know, Medicaid is tough. It's a tough one because you have one Medicaid state program, you have one Medicaid state program, right? right? So mm-hmm. um, it's a really noble and it's definitely takes a lot of ex- expertise and experience to navigate the field. So That's great. So you talked about what you do here at Magellan and it's true, you know, we work together each year to do our customer satisfaction surveys, get a pulse on the satisfaction. So your team touches that significant and vulnerable population that you were talking about in the U.S. Can you talk more about that? Sure. So, you know, essentially when we are doing voice of the customer, we're really surveying regulators uh, across the country. And and I think that that's probably an important thing for us to ground in um, because, you know, these are not, you know, health plan executives or, um, you know, or or corporate America folks, right? Right. These are uh, regulators from across the country who are pharmacy directors, Medicaid directors, and have other secretaries of agencies, have senior 
level roles and are true leaders in their state governments. And those are our customers and yeah. uh, within our division. And our team um, is focused on uh, and takes the survey very seriously. And, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but we really um, spend a lot of time thinking about what our customers are saying in terms of feedback. We spend a lot of time thinking about um, what they may need and anticipating their needs. And we um, really do a lot of work in terms of partnership. Yeah. So I love that you brought up the difference in regulators. And um, it's interesting, especially from a marketing perspective, we don't always think about the different audiences as far as a health plan corporate, you know, stakeholder versus a government stakeholder, right? Right. So I think, can you give us a little bit more examples of how they differ, what their priorities are, what their different goals Mm -hmm. are? Because like Mm -hmm. you say, state agency versus a corporation, you know, there's different profit and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd be happy to, you know, working, you know, I, it's, it's funny having spent my entire corporate America career partnering with regulators, you know, they're my people. These are folks who are there for the most part because they're deeply committed to the members and to their own personal mission of serving people who are living in poverty in this country or the agency's mission or the state's mission. But this is true public service. And the folks that we're partnering with are true public servants. And um, we really spend a lot of time um, thinking about them and thinking about the fact that, you know, they are often under-resourced, underpaid, and undervalued, um, unfortunately. And um, so it's a very different sort of relationship and it's a different model in terms of the partnership, right? Um, And, you know, not for nothing, but these customer surveys, you know, it's just one more thing on their plate. Yes. And it's one more thing on an already full plate. And so that, and you and I have talked about this over the years, that creates an interesting dynamic because we want these folks to participate in our surveys. Feedback is a gift and we want that feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way we approach it is very personal, very high touch. It's very you know, we, we, we do a number of outreaches at my level, the account teams, et cetera. Um, and, and frankly, I think it's a testament to the relationships that our team brings to the table um, on behalf of Magellan that we do get such high participation and, and of course, high survey results. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up. I'm remiss in saying that it's not just your scores your response rates are off the the charts. I mean, you know, most online surveys or even account team surveys, most people would think you would get a 50%, 60% re- response rate. That's not normally the case. You're usually still in the 20 to 25%. I think your last response rate was in the 70s. So yes, it it's yes. pretty amazing. Yeah, your, your team definitely dives in and makes this a priority, which is, you know, an, a great example of why, you know, you think this is so important and it shows you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so what is your experience prior to joining Magellan with customer and program evaluation? And how has that history really um, educated this or, or really fueled this passion for customer experience research? 
So, you know, I, I think it probably goes back to, you know, something rather simple, which is, um, you know, I, I became a, I went to social work school in my early twenties and I really had this interest in, you know, people and connecting with, you know, sort of understanding public policy and connecting with people um, who needed a voice. And that led me to, you know, getting a PhD. And I did a lot of work during the doctorate um, on qualitative research and quantitative research. Mm -hmm. And so sort of really understanding what do people have to say anecdotally and how do they feel about things and, and what sorts of themes can we pull out of, you know, individual conversations and how does that then lend itself to a survey that, you know, is more a quantitative more, you know, didactic model or didactic tool to use to generate data. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, this combination of what are people thinking and feeling about the work you're doing? And then what does the data tell us they're thinking and feeling about the work you're doing is really kind of unlock something fairly significant. And I would say a little magical. Yeah. Um, and I probably use the word magical because I live with a six-year-old and everything is princesses and fairy dust yeah. and magic. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, and so I think that as I have kind of, you know, progressed in my career, whether it's, you know, government affairs work and public policy work, um, we're now running the division. There's just an important lens through which we view our results. Yeah. And that is critical to um, our success. And I, I will share um, as a very early executive, when my first sort of foray into corporate America, I went to work um, then at Amera Group, which at the time was the largest Medicaid managed care company in the country. Yes. And I was a very young, very new executive. And while I was sort of figuring out how the key, key card would open the door <laughs> right. um, early in my career, I got to work with great executives who were wise and kind and thoughtful. And um, of course, at the time, the company was run by a man named Jim Carlson, who um, used to say something that really... Um, left an indelible mark on me um, then and continues to inform my view of this topic, customer service, customer experience and leadership, which is don't confuse effort with results. Mm, and so, right. you know, I really sort of, you know, grew up in this environment where, um, you know, everyone says we're going to work hard and we want to be best in class and we want to be the most respected company and we want to be the best. And what Jim taught me and so many others is this notion of working hard is great. And we all do that, but essentially we are here to produce results. Yes. And for me, taking that a step further, it's not just about results related to margin contribution at a large publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. It goes beyond that. To me, the results are around using surveys with our customers. What do they say about us? Do they participate in the survey? What do they have to say and how well are we scoring? Right. Associate surveys. Do associates participate and what, are they have, what do they have to say? 
turnover rates. How high are the turnover rates within our division? How long are people staying? When they come to our company, why are they choosing to join our team? And when they leave our company, why are they choosing to leave? Exactly. This is all data and information that as a leader helps me think about the results. The results we're getting um, are so critical. And so I think that um, to take that one step further, it, it really is about the discipline of being focused on the various kinds of results that we get as CEOs of companies right. to gauge how well are we doing. Right. And then what are the actions that can help us improve, even if that's we're right. Not, yeah, where we're going with that. That's perfect. I wrote that down. <laughs> Don't confuse effort with results. That's a great quote. Yeah. Yes. I think a lot of people sometimes get discouraged because they're working hard and they're, you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're making their phone calls, they're reaching out to their clients. But are you doing it in the right manner? Are you doing it the right way? Or is this really helping your relationship with this client or, you know, so what are the results of that? What are we actually getting? What's our ROI, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really great. So as we've said, you have a hundred percent overall satisfaction score. It was up from 94%. I mean, it's just so impressive, Meredith, your team is, and it's not like you have a small team, you know, you have a huge team that's, you know, getting these consistent results. So whenever we look at those opening comments, they're really, I mean, this is really valid because those opening comments do nothing but back up those scores and it's not fluff at all. It's truly a great experience for customers and their and your team really ensures that they're happy at every touch point. So to what do you attribute your high CX and EX scores? Because you also have high employee engagement scores as well. What's your secret sauce? <laughs> I'd love to like share some magic with you here, Stephanie. Yes, and I and, love magic. We all need a little yes. magic, right? <laughs> and again, I think that um, every, you know, CEO in the country would say, you know, we're committed to our people. We're committed to, you know, being a company of integrity. We're committed to being best in class. And I think that, um, what I would offer is, yeah, of course, we all are. That's what we're here for. That's what we get paid for. Um, but I think that what separates us, a couple of things. First, I would say the discipline around all of the data and metrics that, that advise us as leaders as to how we're doing. So again, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction surveys, turnover rates, the obvious things like, are we winning new business? Are we bringing on new customers? Are we retaining existing customers? Are we continuing to obviously meet our numbers or exceed our numbers in terms of financial metrics? Um, I think a lot of times you you sort of look at you know margin contribution as the holy grail of success, and clearly that is an extraordinarily important metric. You know, no margin, no mission. Mm -hmm. um, I think what what I try to do and what our team tries to do is to really look at every aspect of feedback and take all feedback and work to ensure that, and, and I'll just sort of speaking for myself, mm -hmm. I, I really maintain a disciplined focus on 
all feedback is a gift and I take it all seriously. And I work hard to ensure that um, folks want to be here. And ultimately, if folks want to be here, you get two plus two equals seven on the ROI, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I also think that you know, one of the things that I learned also at Amerigroup and and also from Jim Carlson was this notion around being a leader who's committed to your people and who really is thinking about your people and thinking about, you know, are they happy? Do they want to be here? All those things. But also at the same time, being a leader who's committed to execution on deliverables and accountability. Yes. And I think that a lot of times um, we get caught up in being too far one or the other. Mm. And what I would observe is it takes a disciplined approach to strike that balance across both being very thoughtful and understanding about your people and what they need and listening to them and hearing, you know, what they need and, and, you know, delivering for them. And also holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to just talk a minute about this notion of being nice. Okay. I was going to ask you, because I was like, I feel like there's a top down, you know, old corporate culture is top down, very demanding, you know, but I think what you're talking about is the new approach. So yeah, I would love to hear, you know, this notion of being nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I don't believe in nice. Okay. <laughs> Um, and the way, and the, you know, the way I define nice is, um, nice words, irrespective of what's really going on. Um, and, uh, I am, however, invested in kindness. And so being nice means not having that hard conversation that it's time for you to take an off ramp and leave the company. Being nice means not having the conversation of integrity with a client to say, I think we made it, I think we have an error here. I think we made a, we have a miss here and I want to partner with you to fix it. Um, Being nice means just being nice, just using nice words in every sort of exchange with your peers, with your boss, with the people who work for you and with your customers. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't believe in nice. Okay. What I believe in (laughs) is I believe in kindness means integrity, transparency, and truly partnering with people and being willing to have those hard conversations. It is kind to say, you're not ready for the big promotion. You have to work on these six things, but I'm going to help you work on these six things. 100%. Kindness is, it is time for you to leave. Kindness is also, you are ready for that big job and I'm going to help you get there because you may not believe you're ready, but I believe you're ready. Mm-hmm. As leaders, truly investing in our people, getting to know them well mm-hmm. enough to really get underneath what do they want? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the next step for them um, and helping them achieve those things. So, so I think that we have 
a culture that is constantly evolving and and me as a leader i'm constantly working on my own you know leadership and and myself to ensure that i am focused on don't confuse effort with results right the results we're getting and truly being kind to the people around me who especially those who work for me in the spirit of integrity and honesty and helping people get to where they is is their best and highest use of their time and their talents and their expertise. Yes, that is such a productive approach and such an appropriate approach and such a great leadership approach because I feel like we are too nice sometimes. We're too we don't want to have the hard conversation as you were saying and that's not helping anybody, right? <laughs> you know, it's not right. helping the organization. It's not helping that individual. It's not helping your customer. You know, you have to be, I love that integrity, transparency for sure. That really, that moves the needle, that moves things forward instead of being in this cycle of, of niceness and tiptoeing and all of that. That's really great. That's and, such and great just, advice. I would just offer to the other side to that. When I say I'm not a fan of nice, I'm also not a fan of being a jerk. Right. right. And I don't don't actually tolerate jerks on my teams and I don't like working with jerks. And so to me, there's people who sort of act like jerks because they're trying to not be nice, Uh but they don't quite have the code cracked on how to have constructive, kind conflict. Yes. And I think the way you described it earlier is perfect where it's like, you know, you you don't have to be a jerk to tell someone, you know what, you're just not ready for this. You know, it's not a personal thing. It's not just for, this is, these are our goals. This is where we're going. This is what we want to do. You're not quite ready for this. These are the things you need to do to get ready for this. Right. I think that's the other part of kindness is to help someone understand what they need to get to the next level. So yeah, that also brings it back to customer experience measures, right? Is looking at what you need to do to get to the next level with your customers, what you need to do to get to the next level within your business. So yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, all of these pieces, customer, customer experience, you know, the work we do every day, associate experience, it's all connected because if I've got folks on my teams who are feel supported they feel like I've got a path to grow and develop. I I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm not ready, but I know how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a leader or a, a leadership team that's committed to me and committed to our integrity and committed to, you know, getting really good work done. I want to go to that customer and be at my best, right? I want to go to that customer and be at my best on behalf of Magellan and, I do think when you asked me, you know, a few minutes ago about secret sauce, you know, simply put, it's our people, but it's all the things we just talked about related to our people. Yes. Um, and if I could just, you know, I'll, I'll share, it always sort of blows me away. I have 27 people on our leadership team that run, you mentioned I have a large team. So 27 people just on our leadership team that run Magellan RX government markets of that 27 people, we have 369 years of experience in the PBA industry. Um, Of that 27, uh, 15 have been with Magellan more than 10 years. Wow. And 
eight, more than 20 years. Oh my goodness. Wow. I have three people who have been at the company 33 and 39 years. Wow. So, so again, it's a, it's a team of people and, and this is, you know, having nothing to do with me at all. This is the team. These folks have been together through, you know, births of children that have now gone off to college, right? Yes. Uh, you know, marriages, deaths, life experience. Yes. And when you share that much time and life experience, you're naturally very committed to one another within the workplace. And it creates, you know, this kind of work dynamic that is, um, you know, people are very interconnected. Yeah. Um, you can't work, you know, alongside someone for 20 plus years and not, you know, ask about their kids when exactly. you, you know, when, when it's graduation time or ask about how their weekend was because, you know, one of the kids had a big game, et cetera. And that just also creates sort of another layer in the fabric of the culture here at Magellan. Yeah, that's really great point. I remember at an organization I used to work for, that was a challenge to the leaders was know your workers, know your employees, um, spouses names and know their children's names. <laughs> if you don't know anything else about them, know their spouse's name, know their children's name, maybe even know their parents' names, you know, something like that. So no, yeah. I think that's a really great point as well is that interconnecting the fabric of each other in the workplace also, you know, it gives you a positive energy, right? And it, it, it lets you go out to our customers with a lot more positivity and interconnectedness and that family atmosphere. So no, that's yes. great. Yes. Yeah. So program assessment, when we talk about program assessment and customer experience and all of that, you know, you're an academic, um, you know, it used to be seen as very academic and scientific and it still is, there's a science to it, but do you see this shifting a little bit in the corporate environment? You know what I, I think, Stephanie, is that in corporate America, especially the last few years, you know, we all have to be mindful of one another and of how people think, how they feel, their life experience. Yes. Um, there's no question that the pandemic has created new ways of connecting, but also new ways of how we think about one another. The, the racial reckoning that we have gone through as a country, um, the commitment to um, thinking differently in new and ways about diversity and inclusion, all these things yes. bring us as corporate leaders to a new place of you got to do it all. Yes. You've got to think about it all. You've got to do it all. You have to challenge yourself and your people to really uh, look at the data, mm -hmm. understand qualitative data, understand quantitative data, and stay connected to your people in new in new ways. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, connection. <laughs> yeah. I suppose we'll spend the next, you know, fifty years in look looking at research and thinking about connection through a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, how how did you know Zoom being sort of the new term like Coke is? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's just it it is it is a way of life. But how we sort of stay connected and learn from one another, um, I do think is is challenged in yeah. good and positive ways uh, mm -hmm. in the halls of the Fortune 500 uh, 
at this time in our country. Yeah. And that's a great segue to the populations that you work with, right? So you've kind of already been working with special populations that some corporations are now having to pay attention to with COVID. Unemployment rates skyrocketed, right? So there's more people on Medicaid. There's more people, you know, uninsured, et cetera. So, you know, what are the unique considerations when providing good customer experience for these government clients, you know, working within a, a corporate structure? Well, I think first and foremost, it's really helpful when we, um, for, for folks like me who have spent their whole career in corporate America doing Medicaid, yeah. it's really helpful to partner with leaders who, who do have a deep understanding of the, the terrific differences between a Medicaid uh, population and a commercial population. And what I mean by that is, let's just start with people who are living in poverty in the United States today have fundamentally different experiences uh, in their daily lives and fundamentally different needs related to accessing their healthcare. And so we have issues around transportation, around food insecurity, around housing, around safety, around um, child care. I mean, these are all things that contribute to whether or not we get to that pharmacy and pick up that life-saving medication. Right. Um, we, these things all contribute to, do we, are we uh, adherent to our diabetes medication? Are we adherent to our high blood pressure medication? Um, I will never forget uh, early in my career, um, working with um, some elected officials around whether or not we were going to charge copays in Medicaid. Mm. And, um, and, and having a conversation about a $5 copay may not mean much to you, said legislator, right. but let's talk about what $5 means to a woman on Medicaid, you know, with two or three young children. Right. It probably is the difference between feeding her kids dinner that night and not feeding her kids dinner. And so when, when we really begin to bring um, to light and also experience, um, you know, in very real and measurable ways. This is, these are the people we're talking about. Right. These are their experiences. And so our job is to not ask those folks to fit into how we think it ought to be done. Our job is actually to proactively put healthcare into these folks' lives yes. in ways that meet them where they are. We have to, as corporate um, in corporate America and as leaders meet the moment mm -hmm. with folks on Medicaid and where and how they need to access services, whether it's drugs or behavioral health care or acute care, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. we have to meet the moment, not ask those Medicaid enrollees to meet the moment. To meet the moment. That is so well said. I can't, I mean, there's nothing else to say. That's so perfect. <laughs> That's yeah, definitely meet the moment. Let me ask you, what are some of the regulatory issues that you might run into or challenges or even opportunities working with a population when it comes to getting that assessment, right? And understanding where we need to meet them and, and how we need to serve them. What are some of the challenges? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, some of the challenges are around every, you know, we, our team, the, the 27 people I was, I was chatting, chatting about earlier, 
you know, understand that every Medicaid program is different. Every state regulatory um, structure is different. Uh, every political environment and each state capital is different. And so what we have to do is we have to run a national company mm -hmm. and we have to have some semblance of national standards and national benchmarks and we can't customize everything for every client while also striking that balance between understanding that serving a Medicaid enrollee um, you know, in ensuring they get their drugs at point of sale in the state of Rhode Island is different potentially than the state of Florida is different than the state of California. Yeah. And so I think that's some of it is, is just truly understanding um, and striking that balance from a policy perspective an infrastructure perspective and IT perspective um, around running a national company and also um, working with each specific state agency so that they feel like they're the only ones yes, <laughs> because yeah. that's really what we have to do. <laughs> yes. So it's tailored to each state. That's miraculous. Yes. That, you <laughs> that mm -hmm. work gets done. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Wow. Well, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I, I know you have great customer experience where you have great employee scores. And another big part of that is, you have fun with your team, right? Being kind, not nice. Try. Try. Yes. <laughs> but we there's try. always room for fun and magic, right? Yes. We do try. Yes. yes. So I wanted to get into uh, what we call rapid fire Q&A. So I'm going to ask you some fun questions. Okay. So the first question is, what's your current passion project? My current passion project. Yes. Personally, I am a very, very big gardener. I love working in the dirt and with plants and flowers. And during COVID, because of not traveling and being home all the time, that has taken on a whole new life of, I started doing all this work with indoor house plants and outdoors. So my house right now is just, you know, it's October in Austin, Texas, and things are still flowering and beautiful and, um, the hibiscus are gorgeous and we really um, enjoy being outside. And um, I spend a lot of time playing in the dirt on the weekends. Okay. That's great. And how about work? What's your passion going on for work right now? You know, uh, I think that, so, so first and foremost, we're, um, you know, obviously we are very focused on the go live with Medi-Cal. This has been the largest healthcare implementation, um, in the country and perhaps in, in the whole healthcare sector in the last 10 years. Um, you know, we will be taking on the drug risk benefit for 14 million Medi-Cal enrollees on January 1st of 2022. So my absolute focus and passion, um, and it has been for a while, is, is supporting the team in Go Live in January. Yeah. Um, and we're growing the team by about double with this project. And so it's a lot of people. Um, it's a very large customer. And um, so we're, we're excited beyond measure and also very focused. Yeah. Um, I think second is in 2022, um, we're really focused on value-based contracts and employing a value-based contracting model on behalf of our Medicaid customers. And just, you know, figuring out new ways to run our business 
such that we are equally focused on quality and cost savings and just, you know, ultimately adding value. These value-based contracts can be really meaningful, not just for Medicaid agencies, in my view, but for the consumers that are uh, the recipients of them in terms of access to very high-cost drugs um, and more efficient use of um, important slash life-saving medications. So we're very focused on those, those two things, which are pretty uh, exciting and major projects for our team. Those are very exciting projects. I, I'm even bragging about Medi-Cal. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes. my company is yes. over Medi-Cal. It's very, yeah. very exciting. And you're obviously the perfect leader to do this. So you're so great. And this is very exciting for the future of our company. So aside from Medi-Cal, or maybe it is Medi-Cal, what excites you the most about the future? I will be extraordinarily excited on January 1st when we go live with this business. And um and I, you know, love the idea of spending the first half of next year, you know, settling in with a much larger and, and relatively new team. We have about 500 people that we're hiring in California to support this contract. And um, we've done a lot of that hiring and the team is really fantastic. But yeah, I'm very excited about Medi-Cal. I'm very excited about other new business that we're implementing. Um, I'm excited about, um, you know, again, doing things in new and innovative ways on behalf of our customers and, um, you know, thinking personally as a leader, I am always focused on ways that I can support our team in growing and developing. And, um, and I will spend quite a bit of time in 2022 thinking about that too. Yeah. Okay. So here's a real fun question. Okay. <laughs> What is the last thing that you binge watched? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so easy because I just did it. Okay. The Lost Kitchen. If oh. you have not watched it out there, people, it is so good. Okay. The Lost Kitchen is a fabulous show documentary uh, about a restaurant called The Lost Kitchen in Freedom, Maine. Wow. And uh, one of the hardest reservations in the country to secure. And I have never been there, but it is now on my list. On so the lost list. kitchen. Okay. That's awesome. I will check it out. I've been um, obsessed with Ted Lasso lately. <laughs> you know, I have <laughs> not watched Ted that. Lasso yet, but I realize everyone else in the country has been watching Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's definitely, <laughs> uh, definitely a trend right now. Yes. Um, so if you could pick invisibility or super strength, let's see, probably invisibility. Okay. Why invisibility? I'd love to be sort of a fly on the wall in some high stakes negotiation slash political conversations yes. uh, that affect our country. Yes, I agree. I think I would choose that as well, because you just never know. <laughs> it, it might be more than you bargained for, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Sneaking in and out. That's great. Do you know the definition of triskaidekaphobia? <laughs> I do not. It is the irrational fear of the number 13. 
Oh, got it. The whole Friday the 13th thing. Friday the 13th. I guess that's where it came from. Yes. Um, So really my last question is, um, and you've already given us a lot of great advice. I'm taking away meet customers in the moment. I think that's really universal advice, but especially in the population you work with. And then don't confuse effort with results. I think those are two gems um, that we can walk away with. But what's the best advice that anyone has ever given you? Can I have, do I get to have more than one? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so no question. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, Jim, Jim Carlson's don't confuse effort with results has left an indelible mark on, on me and my career and, uh, and in, you know, my life in general. Um, you know, I think another, Another piece of advice I've received um, early in my career um, was sort of know what you know and know what you don't know Mm -hmm. and comport yourself with equal confidence in both. Mm. Oftentimes, it is our human nature to comport ourselves with confidence in the stuff we know and then try to like shift in our seat and cover up and laugh and, you know, about the things we don't know. Yes. And what I have found is that when I am transparent about the stuff that I don't know, and I uh, ask questions and I say, I don't know, and I am just confident in the things I don't know, this is what everyone just breathes a sigh of relief Mm. and says, okay, am I, am I allowed to cuss? She's not going to like bullshit us through this meeting. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) And so I find that when I'm willing to do that, my people are also willing to, to just know that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be, you can be transparent and you can not know things. The last thing I would say that I think, um, certainly, uh, I had the benefit of, learning through observation and figuring out early in my career is sort of this notion of um it's sort of twofold run fastest towards the hardest things so mm-hmm. i say that to the teams all the time i, I mean you know people ask around, if you ask around what does Meredith say you know it's run fastest towards the hardest things but, but the reality is that you can't ask people to run fastest towards the hardest things. Cause again, we don't like, we would like to avoid the hard things in corporate America. We'd like to avoid the hard things in our life in general. However, mm-hmm. we would, we would like to, we would like to avoid the hard things uh, as much as we can. However, those hard things are often exactly the things we need to be tackling yes. um, to get the biggest ROI, the biggest move related to our people, related to our business. And so it's twofold. Run fastest towards the hardest things. But as a leader, if you're going to ask your people to do that, you have to be there when things don't work out. Mm. Because if you're asking somebody to to essentially charge a hill with you, Mm -hmm. when they get a quarter of the way up that hill and they just realize they, they just don't have any more in the tank, and they come to you and say, I don't have an answer. I don't know how to do this. I'm not really sure. You know, you have to be there to say, I'm right here with you. Yeah. I'm going to walk next to you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to make sure you make it to that, to, to the peak. But I think that what we often do as leaders is we say, charge after this hard thing, you know, go after it. But, 
but we aren't there when someone fails and we aren't there to support someone when it doesn't go as planned. Right. To me, the, the part of the, you know, kind of daily discipline is my, is being mindful consistently of setting the bar high for people, you know, not being nice, but being kind asking them to charge the hill because that's what we need at the company. That's what's best for our, for our company, for our shareholders, for our customers, for our members, whomever. But then when things don't go right, being there and being right there with them to ensure we as a collective are successful. Yes. Do you think leaders are born or made? And I'm wondering from your own perspective, especially when you're talking about confidence, did you have to, you know, was that a slow growth or do you feel like it was kind of a natural fit for you? So, um, (laughs) that's an interesting question. I wish you could ask my parents. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know what they'd say. I, I think that I, um, probably always had a bit of leadership or, or, you know, in the seventies, um, with little girls, it might've been the boss or bossy, Uh right. I don't like that, but I think that, you know, I think in many respects, I was kind of bossy. Um, but, but the reality is that that, what that means is, is sort of this, I'm going to have a voice and I'm going to be my person and, and perhaps be a leader. And as I, uh, progress through college and my master's program and the PhD program, I, I certainly gravitated towards learning more about leadership and learning. I mean, I taught a lot at the university. Um, so I, you know, did a lot of work around, you know, leadership and thinking about the dynamics of leadership, um, during my graduate training, um, and, and felt very strongly that as, you know, early on in my graduate training as social workers, we lean into sort of what advocacy and leadership looks like and in really meaningful and effective ways. Um, and then, you know, candidly, I had the great benefit, as I've mentioned, of, you know, being this sort of infant uh, as in terms of a corporate executive being in the infancy of my career and getting to work at a company like Amerigroup with seasoned executives who really set the mold for me in terms of this is what solid leadership looks like. Um, I, I will close by saying, you know, I think that I had the benefit of, you know, learning it from this, learning really what good leadership looks like from the beginning of my career, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people don't have that, right? A lot of people might spend 10 or 20 years working before they have a boss that they say, oh my gosh, I want to emulate their leadership style. hundred percent, right. I had the benefit of really you know, joining a team at Amerigroup and having bosses, multiple people who, all of whom I wanted to emulate aspects of their leadership styles. And so um, that has, you know, obviously had a, a big impact on my work. Yeah, no, that's definitely a great position. And I think that's, a, that's, 
That's very true. When you have excellent leadership, especially at that age, when you're very impressionable right out of college, that's very integral to growing into leadership um, as you become a leader, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Well, Meredith, this has been fabulous. <laughs> I really appreciate this today. And are there any last words that you want to share with our listeners today? Get out there and um, think differently about customer experience. Think creatively about it. Think in, a, in ways that require the best of you and the best of your people. And you probably will have great customer experience surveys and customer experience results. And it's just a pleasure to have been asked to chat with you and to highlight the extraordinary work that our team at Magellan RX and specifically within the government markets division uh, is doing. And uh, it's an honor and it's, it's great and meaningful work and even more meaningful when we get these kinds of results. So yeah. thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. And you are magical, Meredith. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, and you're a great asset to the organization. And since this is Customer Experience Day, International Customer Experience Day, I just kind of want to close by saying that, you know, we've talked about a lot of great things. You've given us a lot of great advice. And, you know, I think something else that you talked about was feedback is not to be feared, right? So right. it's great to get your customer feedback. It really helps you become a more competitive and stronger organization. My father used to say to me, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement, ah, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> which I have carried that with me throughout my life. And so I really think we can just all take that philosophy and make ourselves and our organizations just bigger, better, faster, and stronger. Yes, yes. absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you for doing this, Meredith. It's been really great. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. What an incredible discussion between Stephanie and Meredith. If you take anything away from this episode, it should be these three things. Number one, no matter what industry you're in, it's important to know what your customers think about you and your brand. Number two, meet your customers in the moment and recognize that all feedback from them is a gift. And last, certainly not least, and arguably the most important, number three, don't forget the impact that your employee experience has on your customer experience. Highly engaged employees will result in highly satisfied customers. And while you're at it, we know that making friends as an adult can be challenging, but we want to be friends. So let's be friends. Rate this podcast five stars and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk soon.